Hi everyone and welcome to the very first episode of Synesthesia Season 2. I am Enrico and if you've been following us from the beginning of the show, you must be quite acquainted with my voice and my role as a host. After a six months break, here we go again. We've got lined up for you a list of great visual artists who have worked with some of the best music acts of the year. But first, let me share the two most important updates. First of all, I won't be hosting Synesthesia by myself anymore. In fact, I've been joined by a former guest whom I really clicked with, not only because she is Italian. I'm talking about graphic designer and art director Raissa Pardini. Ciao Raissa, how are you? Hello, I'm fine, how are you doing? It's so great to be here, thank you. I am really, really excited. This is a dream coming true. I know, it's good, it's good. <laughs> The other big news is that, together with Raissa, we found a partner that believes in our vision for the second season and beyond, the Standard Hotel London, which has added our show to their Sometimes Radio's programming schedule. We are indeed super excited to be recording from their studio in the Library Lounge, former home of the old Camden Library, surrounded by rare vinyl, vintage books, and the best couches, armchairs, lamps, and design items ever. Thanks so much, Nick and Louis, for making this happen. Synesthesia, a show about the creatives who are shaping the aesthetics of music. We chat to the minds behind the record sleeves, videos, photo shoots, and styling of the freshest new sounds, exploring how contemporary culture, fashion, illustration, and design reflect and enhance the musical experience. Synesthesia, the artists behind the artists. Raisa, I guess we broke the ice and at this point it's time to go straight to the core of our show and welcome our very first guest whom we chased for about a year, pestering them with emails. <laughs> Raisa, I will let you the honor to introduce them. So we're kicking off Synesthesia Season 2 with Robert Bitty, an artist and musician based in Lexington, Kentucky. Robert's artwork have been featured in the record sleeve of artists such Tem Impala, Real Estate, Why Not Tricks Point Never, and most recently The Weeknd. We will be chatting through these latest two collaborations, but first, let's check out how Robert is doing and how the weather is like in southeastern US. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. I'm trying to start this year off with a little bit of relaxation and not work as much as I have been the past couple of years, but... Have you been listening to Don FM this morning, Robert? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've listened to it a few times since it came out, but it's, you know, I listen to mostly more abstract instrumental music while I'm working or reading or whatever. So I listen to my fair share of synth pop as well, though. So let's talk about music first. Rice and I did plenty of research on your career, on your passions, on the things you like. And we are aware that your first love was uh, pavement. You know, I grew up in a small town in Kentucky before the internet existed, or not existed, but, you know, wasn't readily available to me. You know, the way I would find out about things was like MTV or other cable television stations, you know, things that would be on late at night or like magazines or, you know, radio played a big part. So, you know, at some point, I think it was when Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain came out and Cut Your Hair was kind of a big hit for them. You know, probably the biggest song they ever had, I guess. You know, I was probably in like seventh or eighth 
grade then and heard pavement and it was pretty easy to find their records because they had that hit so you know got a hold of everything that i could and then from there kind of started buying anything that was on matador records was the label they were on and you know at the time in the mid 90s like matador was putting out you know bands like pavement and guided by voices and like John Spencer Blues Explosion, but they were also putting out a lot of pretty strange experimental records. Like there was a band called Thinking Fellers Union, Local 282 from the Bay Area, who they put out, who did a lot of really incredible stuff. Or a band like The Frogs, who are probably not a safe band to talk about or show people these days, but they were pretty influential on me at the time. So you've been influenced by music and, um, you know, your your experience in music then um, just grew up into being in a radio, your career in a radio. We, we, we read about WRFL radio at the University of Kentucky. How uh, your career kicked off working at an, an independent radio station and why are independent radios are still so relevant to our culture, in your opinion? I was pretty isolated growing up in a small town, so the college radio station was where I heard a lot of the music that I was exposed to that wasn't like mainstream stuff. So, you know, I was hearing like noise music and free jazz and, and all kinds of out there stuff because I was able to get this, you know, radio station WRFL. And so after I graduated high school, I didn't go to college, but I started volunteering at the radio station doing a radio show. And and kind of through that met a lot of people who I ended up playing music with started like you know several noise bands um, one of which was here hair police what was the name of your radio show uh it didn't have a name no it was just kind of like a general format and you know I usually had a show pretty early in the morning like I, I had a 6 a.m show for a long time so wow wow for uh, early birds <laughs> or night owls yeah, yeah. Did you stay awake or did you wake up early? I would wake up early, yeah. At the time when I was first doing a radio show there, I, I was a janitor at a gas station. So I had to get up at like 5.30 every morning anyway. So I was used to it. But yeah, so I, I started doing that and then kind of just started doing, you know, the radio station would bring bands to town and do shows for them. And I ended up doing some flyers for those shows and also for shows that I was playing myself and then you know it kind of just grew from there where I ended up doing like a lot of the graphic design for the radio station for I don't know probably close to 10 years or something it was kind of like their de facto art director just doing t-shirts and stickers and posters and website design and stuff the most important things about your experience at this radio station WRFL radio at the University of Kentucky are the fact that you met uh, the members of your band the hair police you had your own uh, radio show and also you started experimenting with the flyers and we read uh, in an interview with uh, forge magazine that uh, at the very beginning your flyers were just uh, photocopies of the same photo until they looked uh, kind of noise for me it was like just using whatever was available to me and i you know i didn't have photoshop at the time and didn't really use a computer for much you know so it was just kind of like drawing things and photocopying them and collaging them together and you know and also just like we were doing cassettes and cdrs and eventually you know vinyl records and cds 
of all of our own music, for the most part, self-releasing it. So we would just all kind of make the artwork together, and it was always just kind of like whatever we could come up with quickly and cheaply. You talked about your music inspiration, but how about your visual references? What were you looking at when working on these uh, flyers? I'm kind of pretty open when it comes to like influences because it's hard to deny that everything that you see influences you in some way. So, I mean, a lot of what I was inspired by was like magazines and the graphic design in magazines, like not even like cool magazines, just like my mom had all these like kind of like soap opera true story magazines from the 70s and 80s. And, and that was kind of like, you know, where I started noticing typefaces and graphic design and just like would like look at the ads in the back so a lot of the like early stuff that I was doing there's a lot of weird like you know collage out of like stuff from the newspaper or just like encyclopedias taking pictures from you know whatever was around there was a show on MTV called liquid television that was like weird animation stuff and that was kind of like introduced me to a lot of things that made a big impact on me still like I'm finding like threads from that where I'm like, oh, that person that did that thing on liquid television is also the person that did this, you know. Do you think that working with like bands, radio and generally the independent community, do you think that that shaped in the way, the way you still work, you know, just not having the pressure of being commercial? Honestly, the biggest thing with working at the radio station and being in hair police and touring kind of in the noise underground was meeting people and the the community that developed out of that that's that's kind of like the only reason I'm here doing anything today it's kind of like a right place right time kind of thing where it was like right as the internet was starting to pick up and you could email or mail a cassette to someone across the country and you know then next time you played in their city you go and meet them or hang out with them and so that's a huge part of how I've been able to do what I do and be successful in any way is just like that community which is I don't know that it's possible in the same way anymore just because of the way things are so like hyper commercialized you can't keep anything secret <laughs> these days I've kind of been struggling with this a lot lately is just like no matter what you do even if it's just something you made for yourself once you put it on Instagram it looks like an ad for something it's like you know I started out doing like weird music that nobody liked and even thought was music and now I'm like basically working in marketing somehow and there's like a direct line from point a to point b and I'm kind of like how did I how did I end up here so <laughs> yeah I mean a big part of it for me is like trying to stay true to that I guess there's been a conversation between creatives of all kinds that they've been saying this, you know, being exposed to internet and algorithm-based platforms can lead you to see a lot of similar influences. So, like you said, having magazine that you touch, having books going out, seeing bands being inspired by something that is outside the world sounds different to what is happening right now, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And especially, you know, that has only been heightened by everything that's happened the past couple of years. You know, it's like people are more isolated. I don't know. It's kind of like I would, was hopeful when COVID started that maybe the music industry in general would kind of like take this as a moment to step back and 
reflect on the things it was doing wrong, but <laughs> it seems like the things that were bad have only gotten worse. Let's try to be optimistic and let's take <laughs> yeah. let's take to real life uh, things we can touch. You mm. mentioned yeah. as your main influences uh, all the aesthetics uh, and universe, visual universe uh, of uh, independent music uh, in the 90s and early 2000. We want to also know about your favorite books. We know that you are of course a big fan of uh, Alan Aldridge's book uh, The Beatles Illustrated and that yeah. uh, Terry Gilliam was one of your biggest influences. Yeah, that Beatles book was like a thing that I always saw as a kid, like when I would go to bookstores, because it was, you know, it's a pretty big book, and I think it's been in print since the 60s. It's like a book that Alan Aldridge put together where he just had illustrators illustrate Beatles songs with the lyrics next to it. I'm not even, a, you know, the Beatles are, I would definitely not say they're one of my favorite bands. That book <laughs> has been a much bigger influence on me than the Beatles music. But yeah, it's kind of like a who's who of 60s kind of psychedelic illustrators. You know, there's like Tadanori Yoku is in there and just tons and tons of incredible illustrators. And so that book was like a huge thing to me. And as far as like the airbrush style stuff goes, the Terry Gilliam's animation on Monty Python is probably like the first time I saw that style and kind of like noticed it, you know, watching that show as a kid. And just, you know, the, that style was super prominent for a very long time, like from the 60s, basically, I mean, probably from the 50s even until computers came along you know and then uh, you brought it back in 2008 for the yeah. cover of a burning star course a challenger the time when i started doing that it was like maybe the least cool thing you could do because <laughs> it was just like not i wasn't thinking about like how it was going to be perceived or like what anybody else would think of it at the time i was just like i want to figure out how to do this you know and i was starting to learn photoshop at the time and kind of like reverse engineered how to do you know i had like a couple like how to airbrush books and i kind of i knew i was never gonna buy an actual airbrush and an air compressor and learn how to do it in real life so i kind of like reverse engineered how to do it in photoshop and figured it out yeah and that Challenger cover. There are a few flyers that I made um, before the Challenger cover that I kind of did the airbrush stuff on that I don't think are anywhere online. But that was kind of the first like thing that I did that people saw that was the early, early stages of developing that style. I don't know if you look at it now, it, you can tell it's very different than what I do now, but I kind of like sometimes wish I could get back to that before I knew what I was doing. Gotten a little too polished. We would love to see them. <laughs> yeah, I could probably dig dig up. There's there's definitely another flyer that's a very similar thing that was like kind of exploding planet in outer space type thing. But the thing is, is like the stars in the background of that was me, like I poked holes with a needle in a piece of black construction paper, you know, and like put it on an overhead projector and took a photo of it with like an early crude, like, you know, with a crappy point and shoot digital camera. Like it, it's kind of more collage than it was like me actually making anything in the computer. But it was kind of the start of me figuring out how to do that, you know? It will be nice to see some of uh, your behind the scenes mm -hmm. um, artworks because when we publish uh, the episode, we will also be sharing a mood board with some of your um, artworks in it for our uh, 
listeners and followers on Instagram, do go and check out our page at synesthesia underscore podcast. We are now in 2008. We need to go through 2011 when you worked with real estate and through 2015 when you had that life-changing brief from Tame Impala for their current album cover. Throughout this whole time that, you know, I'm kind of like working at the radio station and doing stuff, Hair Police was touring quite a bit, you know, ended up going to Europe several times and, and just touring around. I started meeting tons of people and playing shows and stuff. And I was doing a solo project at the time called called Three-Legged Race and did a few tours with that project as well. So, you know, would meet people playing shows, some of whom were Dan LaPatton from 102 Point Never and the guys from Real Estate all had kind of different you know weird noise bands and did house shows and stuff and interesting like I had been touring for you know almost 10 years at that point and part of this scene and just kind of started to see people who were part of that start to have a little bit more success and get signed to bigger labels and have some popularity and stuff and so around the time that I did my first collaboration with Dan LaPatton was he had a band called Infinity Window that and I did a cover for them early on and then I think probably around 2011 it was earlier than that there's a record that he did called Russian Mind that was the first like OPN album that I did the cover for so yeah it was kind of just like a natural progression from touring and meeting all these people and then they started to put out records and ask me to do the artwork after seeing some of the stuff that I had done for like the Burning Star Core record heard and a couple other things around that time. Yeah, you mentioned uh, collaborating with Daniel Lopatine, uh, one or tricks, um, point never. Your first joint venture was the cover for R Plus 7 in 2013, which we both originally thought it was by an Italian surrealist painter called Giorgio de Chirico. <laughs> we were like, uh, so yeah. beautiful. I think that was the third thing I had done with Dan. Once he signed to Warp, did R Plus 7 and the two commissions records. But yeah, that one's a funny one because it's actually a still from an animation by a Swiss, I believe, animator named George Schwigebel. And that's a pretty good example of like kind of the way that Dan works. How is it to work with uh, one Otris Point Never? He's one of the people that I, at this point, have worked with the longest out of anybody. It's really nice, you know, I like having kind of long running collaborations with people where I do multiple album covers in a row or kind of have this developing relationship. You know, I've, I've I met him playing a show that there were probably 20 people at in 2007 in Boston. He had a band called Astronaut that was like a synthesizer trio with two other guys. Does he leave you plenty of uh, creative freedom or is he very much a hands-on? Well, he's very hands-on, but in a very like intuitive way, which I think Dan works and thinks about things in a very similar way to me, where we're, Dan's maybe more intellectual than I am in the way that he like justifies his decisions a little bit. <laughs> but not that I'm not intellectual, but I definitely don't like to really like explain why I did things or... <laughs> <laughs> I'm much more interested in hearing what other people think about my work than telling them what it means. Can you please take us through the concept of this 360 hypnotizing journey through visual and music that's a magic OPN? Yeah, and that one was cool because Dan contacted me really early on 
on when he was like just starting to even think about making a record and kind of had this concept of it being based in this radio station morning to evening kind of concept. And it just happened that at the time I was like really interested in CB radio culture, which is like a thing that you know, still exists like kind of ham radio, which, you know, was huge in the US in the 70s and 80s. And I had kind of like through a weird chain of events had inherited all of these CB radio magazines from the 80s and was like obsessed with all these weird ads and and just all this stuff. And so I started sending Dan a lot of the stuff from those magazines and just kind of like also a lot of like weird new age magazines from that time. And, and we kind of just started developing this weird world of references and language that we were, you know, drawing from. But it was really important to me to like not just like sample that stuff, which is ironic because Dan's music, you know, he samples quite yeah. a bit of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's just that we pulled it off and it feels like genuine and and it's very immersive you know I don't think there's anything else I've done that feels like if we had had more time you know could have made an entire book to go along with that record you know obviously there's a direct through line from magic to the weekend I was about to say since you mentioned that CB radios were the main uh, inspiration You know, obviously The weekend is on Magic. And Dan had kind of hinted a couple times that he was working on some stuff with him and that he thought he would probably ask me to do something. Dan was actually the one that called me, you know, in end of June of last year and was like, hey, I've been working on this record with Abel and I think he wants you to do the artwork. The reality of like Dan being like, oh, this is maybe going to happen and him calling me and saying like, hey, we want this to happen. <laughs> Is that the logo you always dreamed of designing for WRFL radio? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the logo I would have designed for WRFL would have been something a little more rough around the edges, probably. And, you know, I did do several logos for that radio station that maybe aren't too far off. But yeah, I mean, that logo is very much, it was nice kind of coming back to a lot of the stuff that Dan and I had researched for Magic while we were working on the weekend stuff. So, you know, I already had all these reference folders full of like old radio station logos. And, you know, one of the things that we were looking looking at a lot working on magic was these things called QSL cards which was kind of like it's literally a calling card for this is my ham radio number but they're super cool because it's just like you know people would make their own and there were a couple artists that you know people hired so there's like one guy who made like thousands and thousands of them and they're just so great I love art that's made by people that wouldn't necessarily call themselves artists or whatever or art that's kind of like done in a more like utilitarian way yeah. which is you know part of what I draws me to the airbrush artwork because so much of that airbrush art was like more of a technical thing than somebody trying to express themselves and so people kind of end up expressing themselves in a very like subconscious way you know even with like phones and uh, I, I keep seeing uh, people using bad phones that become amazing because they probably don't put the stress of um trying to sell the design or anything and sometimes i'm i'm just so <laughs> so shocked by um, what some friends can do and sometimes i like it better you know that kind of like you said 
that, for lack of a better term, kind of outsider perspective, which like, you know, I didn't, I'm not trained in any way. I didn't go to school for design or art or anything. It's everything I've done is self-taught. So it's like, you know, I almost respect somebody more if they're just like doing something because they need something to be done rather than they're like trying to turn it into a career and make money off of it. There's a fine line there where I'm really inspired by a lot of old commercial art. It's like trying to take something that at one time was like the low logo I made for Don FM looks like it could have been a logo for a radio station from 1983, you know? It's kind of trying to take that and subvert it or recontextualize it in some way where it, it expresses something different or giving something that's old, you know, a bit of new life. But the weird thing now is like, you know, I'm inspired by all this old commercial art and now I'm doing stuff for big brands. Yeah, I mean... You know, you, you talked about this factor that you also work for television and mainstream. And um, I'm just curious to see how are you able to create that kind of bridge that connects the underground and the mainstream? How can the latter feel authentic? You know, channeling the energy that comes from the independent music and put it into the mainstream. Because it feels like you can do both. It's a great skill. You know? I think it's mostly just like I'm very lucky that most of the time when people ask me to do something, whether it's, you know, a cassette that there's a hundred copies of or like, you know, a multi-million dollar TV show, <laughs> they kind of know what I do and they trust it. I think that's part of it. And part of it is I'm also very selective about what I do, you know, like I there's plenty of things that come my way that I'm just like this doesn't feel right or you know I don't think this is gonna work out and you know I've, people see like the stuff I've done with Dan and they're like we want that and I'm like well you're you there's no way I can make that for you because it's just not gonna develop in the same way as with someone that I have an actual working relationship with <laughs> we know each other like yeah do you think that friendship can can bring trust in um, creating something together and then it gives more space to creativity? I think it's just like knowing someone and like being familiar with what influences them and what they're into and kind of where they draw what they're it's kind of like well that they're drawing from. It, it makes things a lot easier and you know some of the most rewarding things I've made are th things that like maybe people don't know but they're like things i made with my best friends you know <laughs> it's like i'm still able to do a lot of work with like my friends which is kind of like i'm trying to actually get back to that a little bit more because it's it kind of gets to be a little bit draining doing so much stuff where you know i'm working on album covers where i'm like dealing with like managers and record labels and and like barely talking to the band sometimes and it just is kind of like it gets to be a bit tedious and it kind of wears you down a little bit so robert we know that you are obsessed with the radio and we see this theme both in magic opn and in dawn fm are there any other recurrent visual themes or symbols you tend to explore in your artworks it's kind of funny at this point because like i feel like the things that are like things that i repeated a lot in my work like you know things like cracking open and melting or liquid or some sort of you know elemental spirit coming out or something and kind of like these portals like similar to like things breaking open there's always like 
doors and windows and keyholes and things like that. You know, it's almost like a weird gateway or like an opening to another space, you know, that is something that I always kind of gravitate towards. But I feel like that stuff has kind of become trendy or cliche at this point. So I'm trying to kind of like not do the things that have become my trademark. So, <laughs> but it, so, but when you work, I'm, I'm just also curious about from a design perspective, right? So you say that you really like masking and airbrushing and bring all these elements that seem quite spontaneous to you, right? How do you go from scratch to final? I haven't really been doing this as much anymore. A lot of it, though, I would I would just keep sketchbooks and kind of just draw really rough like shapes and and kind of just like sit down and draw and not really think about things and and kind of like just see what comes out. And then, you know, I would come back to something like months later and do that in the computer. And that's that's something I'd like to get back to, but I feel like I've just been doing so much work the past couple of years that I've kind of just like started, you know, in the computer. And, and that's part of like what I was saying earlier about, I feel like I would like to get back to how I did things a little bit earlier on when I was just figuring this stuff out. Cause I feel like I've almost like streamlined things so much that it it's not, as interesting to me anymore. Robert, it seems like uh, you are kind of uh, getting rid of your trademark, this airbrush, because uh, both the style and the symbols, you are seeing them too much. How do you keep yourself uh, inspired and how are you planning to evolve as an artist? Yeah, I mean, that's something I'm actively in the process of trying to figure out. <laughs> Just because, I mean, the airbrush style, I feel like, has become super saturated in the past few years, you know. The thing is, is, like, I've always done a lot of different stuff, you know. Like, I have, like, several different styles that I kind of work in and combine, you know. There's... I would like to do more stuff that's just like drawing, just like ink on paper, which I did. I think like the last thing I did for that was that Mort Garson compilation, the music from Patchcord Productions. Like that was all just like pen and ink and then colored in the computer. And because I felt like that was more appropriate for that record than like, you know, the airbrush stuff. You know, there's also a lot of stuff that I do that's very graphic kind of op art stuff. And I've been doing a lot of like these animated loops lately that, you know, I've have an Instagram account that I post to those. Ed Sunspot, yeah. To, you know, I haven't made any new music in like over five years and trying to kind of finish all my current commissions so I can take some time off and make some new music and get some music out there just because that's something I really miss doing. And it's like, you know, the reason I'm doing any of this is because I was making weird music. <laughs> What's inspiring you these days, uh, Robert? I mean, I'm always like looking at old experimental film and and video and animation stuff there's a guy named mark toscano who is in los angeles and he works for the academy of motion pictures like the people that do the oscars as a an archivist and restores experimental films and he's been doing this this instagram live stream during the pandemic every tuesday night called remains to be streamed on his instagram which is preservation insanity and so he just screens on 16 millimeter film in his apartment on the wall like all these incredible experimental films and animations um and that's been like a really huge inspiration in the past couple of years. It's just seeing all this stuff um, 
but that's like you know something I've been into for a very long time like people like Lillian Schwartz and Ed M. Schwiller and all these you know people that were doing like kind of early computer film stuff in the 60s and 70s yeah I mean that that stuff is kind of like endlessly inspiring to me so you already replied to one of our questions because we assume that's your favorite Instagram page, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it's definitely nice. It's like going back to the kind of community thing. It's like there's, you know, he does these live streams and there's like maybe 20, 30 people watching it, but there are like people I've met through those live streams, you know? Community. It's like going back to the radio experience, right? One of the best things about radio is you don't know what to expect. Like, it's like, you don't know what's going to happen next. It's yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Now we're going to tell you what happens next in this episode. It's our <laughs> column, uh, Word on the Street. Word on the Street. Yeah. Please uh, tell us a musician you would like to collaborate with. There's a label out of the UK called Spillage Fet, F-E-T-E. Kind of like a handful of people that have a few different bands. That's like really kind of like pastoral, weird, kind of like soundtracky music. And I've been in touch with them a couple of times. But the other thing is like a lot of the people that I really like their music, they kind of do their own art and have their own aesthetic. So yeah. I almost feel like at this point it's like disruptive for me to do stuff for some bands because they're better off just doing their things on their own it's like they don't need me you know we appreciate this uh, humble approach i don't know it's i'm honestly kind of surprised that people still ask me to do album covers <laughs> because i've done so many and i'm like why would you want me to do this you can uh, create an uh, alter ego for yourself <laughs> so you don't have to sign your artworks uh, as robert Beatty well, anymore that's something i've actually talked about a little bit is like I wish I had done this under some sort of like assumed name or like a studio name or something so it wouldn't be so associated with like my name. Almost like I wish that, you know, all of this stuff that I've done could have been anonymous or something, but that's not the way the world works, you know. You it feels that you are at a point where you, you find out what is good for you next and, uh, you know, just saying you want to be more involved with music and you want to be more picky and you want to take the time to uh, just... Uh, be inspired by drawing and have a backlog of things that are very inspired we without any particular reason so you know your wish is something that is already telling you that there's going to be your next new thing for yourself yeah work less in general <laughs> <laughs> so that's your advice for a young designer i do think the like hustle mentality is very poisonous you know like the fact that you have to be working all the time and you shouldn't have to work all the time to live that's like a very poisonous mindset and I think a lot of young like people coming up think that's the way you know if you you know the world is like fucked up Robert we can't help uh, agreeing with you yes yeah. it, it's weird because I get emails from like people who are in art school and they're like how do I have a career and I'm like what does that even mean like I never thought about that when I was young and like doing doing anything I was just like how can I like make a cool thing with my friends like I didn't I had a job like working construction to make money you know I wasn't doing art to make money and now it's like how I make money which is strange and I'm still kind of like figuring out how to navigate that you know it's just because of the internet and social media and stuff like people are kind of like trained to immediately commodify anything that they do so it seems like they're they're like turning their life into a job which is very dark 
Well, and part of it too is like, you know, by the time I did the Tame Impala cover, like I had been doing stuff for like 15 years. Insist, insist, <laughs> insist. Push like it. Bill Murray will say. <laughs> We agree with you, making it for the sake of uh, culture. A few minutes ago, you told us uh, one of your favorite Instagram pages. Now, before closing, for our column... Uh, Flavors. We would like you to recommend us a local spot slash venue in Lexington, Kentucky. The first thing that comes to mind is Institute 193, which is kind of a, exists in the real world as a gallery, but also publishes books and does a lot of great stuff highlighting art from the South, which is something that I think a lot of art world is kind of based around New York, LA, Chicago. So I think it's nice to be reminded that there are people in other parts of this country doing things. Um, <laughs> a lot of great work. And I did for the past few years, not recently, but doing a music series where I'll book a lot of shows of experimental music. And, you know, I did an art show there in 2011. But yeah, it's just nice. There's there's not really a ton of like stuff like that in Lexington outside of like the university or whatever. So it's nice that they're here and, and doing what they do, so. Robert, it was our privilege to have you as a guest. Yeah. Uh, we look forward to see what's next. Uh, good <laughs> luck with your year of rest and relaxation <laughs> and drawing and yeah. playing music. Uh, you deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I'm still figuring all this stuff out myself. So <laughs> thank you. You just listened to Synesthesia, the artists behind the artists, a show recorded from the standard London Library Lounge, produced by Sometimes Radio. Subscribe to our Spotify channel and follow us on Instagram at synesthesia underscore podcast.